Good morning. Good to see you. We are looking at my place and the bank today. It's interesting how you know God puts the church together and he intends for us to use our gifts to really help further his purpose and accomplish his will and things. And it's, it's interesting, this, this series, I came up with the title My Place a few months ago and decided this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at how it's important to know our place and take our place as we live our lives. And then Ian put together the image for the series and I said, aha, that's what it's like. It's like that little icon. It's on the front of your program, that red icon. You know, it's on Google Places and things that now, now it's the little icon that tells you where you're at and how to locate yourself. And I have an app on my, my cell phone that looks like this, and it will tell me where the ATMs are that I can go to to get money out or put money in. Unfortunately, usually it's get money out. But um, it will give me directions if it can pinpoint my location. And really, that's what this series is about. Uh, I, I need to find my place. My place is the right mental position or attitude for approaching life. And so we're looking at what the Bible says about our, the right mental position and outlook in the different areas that we deal with all the time. Last week we looked at mainly relationships, our household, the circle of friends and family that were put in and what's the right outlook there. Today we're going to look at our outlook toward money. Our, our outlook determines whether or not the size of our bank account is going to create stress in us. It could be a little, could be a lot. It, our outlook on our bank account, our bank, our money, is going to decide whether it brings peace or stress. It determines whether or not our wealth is going to increase over time or decrease, whether it's going to strengthen us or weaken us, whether it's going to help or ruin us. And so the Bible has a lot to say about money because it, it really affects our, our lives. Uh, in fact, Jesus spent more time talking about money than faith and prayer combined. He said more about money than heaven or hell. And the reason he spent so much time on money, I believe, is it's so close to our heart because earning money takes a major portion of our time on earth. We spend 35, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week earning the money we do, or we spend a lot of time, several years of our lives, getting prepared to go into the career that we're going to have to earn the money that we have. So we spend a lot of time thinking, planning, worrying about our money, uh, how we're going to get it, what we're going to do with it, whether or not we're going to have enough. And sometimes we get convinced that our money or more money is going to be the answer to our problems. It's funny, I read a, a, an article, there was an article on the front page of the Times yesterday, and it, it talks about a trend that's going on in, in China right now. Um, in, in China, you know, you can only have one, one child per family, and many young couples are choosing not to have children at all. Um, and they were, this, they were interviewing a couple in this article, and 
they were talking about how just like here they get hassled by their family about when they're going to have kids, when they have holidays and get together with their, their parents and things. But it seemed to me that the same thing is going on there that goes on here sometimes. Fear is the one thing that is holding them back from having children because they, they said you just don't know what kind of country the kid is going to grow up in. And so that's, that's sort of holding them back from having children, and, and that's kind of a thought that goes around here. Well, I don't know. I don't want to have kids because I don't know what the world's going to be like that they're going to have to live in. And then anyway, uh, that's sort of the perspective of the, the couple that was interviewed. And then the lady said, only when you have lots of money will everything be all right. Seems like a worldwide phenomenon, doesn't it? A worldwide way of thinking. When you have a lot of money, everything is going to be all right. We tend to think that more money is going to make life good or enough money. And usually, how much is enough? A little more. So reality is, and what you find in Scripture, is that more money is likely to ruin you and I. If we don't keep it in its place, it can ruin us. And so... We need to get our heads around and our hearts around what the Scripture says about money. What we do with our money is like an x-ray of our heart. It reveals what's important to us. Our attitude toward money is a major clue to our outlook on life itself. So this is why the Bible spends so much time on it. Randy Alcorn said, Our stewardship of our money and possessions becomes the story of our lives. And when I first read that, I thought... That seems to be overstated. But in reality, we spend so much time earning our money. Our money itself represents our life because we spend time earning it and gathering it and thinking about it. And as we give it away, what we're really doing is as we spend it or give it away, we're, we're investing ourselves. We're giving away ourselves or we're spending ourselves on things. And so really is an important aspect of living life, getting our minds around uh, what God thinks about this. People are made in the image of God, Scripture tells us. And God is a gracious and generous God. He's a giving God. In fact, he is exponentially generous. He He is loving and kind and giving. We ourselves are made in his image. That means that we're like him in some ways. We aren't God, but we're like him. He's put his image in us, and we reflect him. And so we ourselves were made for generosity as well. When we give, when we become givers, our life really hums. Today I want to explore the need to get in touch with our generosity gene that's inside of us. Some of us are out of touch with it. And the perspective of Scripture is God's put this heart to give inside of us, and when we, when we live it out, boy, life really gets, gets good. So this morning I want to look at some important truths to shape our financial outlook, and especially something we mostly overlook in our culture, the generosity factor in our finances. Now, I want to read an excerpt to you from a speech that Stephen King, the guy who writes the the horror novels, 
he, he, he gave a commencement address at Vassar several years ago. And I was surprised at his perspective on money. Now, he's made his money by writing horror novels. And so I was a little surprised at his perspective. But he went through something that sort of brought it all to the forefront. And I'm, I'm just going to read an excerpt from his address. He said, a couple of years ago, I find out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road, covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. (laughs) We all know that life is ephemeral, but on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going to go out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Steve King, broke. Not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's still going to be a quarter past getting late, whether you tell the time on a Timex or a Rolex. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later, things will begin to go wrong with the only three things you have that you can really call your own, your body, your spirit, and your mind. And this is, this is what I want you to grab. This is his conclusion. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. Now, I personally wouldn't expect a horror novelist to have that kind of perspective. On, on money. But then again, maybe, maybe that's, that's connected. I don't know where Mr. King is in his relationship with God, but he discovered something during that trial that's very important and is a reflection of the way God has made human beings. There's a certain number of people who have a lot of money like he does, like way more than you can imagine what to do with, who end up with this perspective. They start giving things away. Because it's way more than enough. And it reflects something about the way God has made us. He's given us a gene of generosity. He's built this into us. He's wired in it. We've been made in the image of God. And so when we become givers and grow in generosity, we have a deep sense of satisfaction and joy that we get from nothing else. God has blessed us. And he's promised to bless our generosity. Listen to Proverbs 11, 24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. This is wired in to the way life works. This, this is real. This, this is how it works. When we give freely, life is good. And that's how the Bible is. The Bible tells us things that are true. You know, there's some things that are true, like that chair is gold or 
U.S. dollars are green. Um, there are things that are true, but that, it doesn't matter if U.S. dollars are green. They could be pink, and if they, if they were valuable, I could still spend them on things. It doesn't really affect the way I live. But reality is that overspending can bury me and create stress. That's the reality about my mind. It doesn't matter what color it is. That's true. But the reality is overspending can bury me, create stress, and eventually ruin my credibility if I allow it to. So how I think about it really matters. The Bible is true. What the Bible says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. This, this is something God has woven into the way life works. We're going to walk through a passage this morning out of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9. And the context for this passage is that Paul, who wrote the, a bunch of the New Testament, about two-thirds of it, um, he is pulling together a need, a special need offering for poor Christians in Macedonia. He's writing to the Corinthians, and the tone of this passage is up. I mean, they've been very generous. They're considering giving to meet the needs of the, of, uh, the people in Macedonia who, who are suffering. And so Paul, as he talks about the offering itself, he wants them, and therefore us, God wants us, to, to gain God's perspective on money. And so he says some things that are very important for us to get a hold of to understand the right outlook toward our, our bank account. First of all, if we don't plant it, it won't grow. This is just a basic truth. He starts, starts here in verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, this makes sense. I'm not a farmer, but I understand this. If you don't plant the seeds, they're not going to grow. If you plant a little amount of seed, you're going to get a small crop. If you plant a large amount of seeds, you're going to gain a large crop. That makes sense to me. I'm a city boy, but I get that. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's talking about using our money, planting, investing our money, giving it away. That's how you plant seeds. This is how you plant the seeds of generosity. You give to God's purpose, and you give to meet the needs of people. We looked last week at how uh, there are two major purposes that we have in our life, and uh, it had to do with the good news and good works. God wants those who've decided to follow Jesus Christ to set their heart on sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with other people. He also wants us to do good works. He's actually created us, Ephesians 2.10 says. He's created us to do good works. And this is, our money is a big part of this. We give our money to serve God's purpose, to share the good news. We give our money to meet the needs of people, to do the good works that he has intended for us to do all along. And if you give a little, you reap a little. If you give a lot, your crop of blessing is going to be huge. The second truth that Paul brings out in this passage, our level of gratitude reveals our attitude. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, what Paul's saying is we, we should be cheerful about giving. 
And this is an attitude gauge for us. How cheerful are you as you give to other people? We should be grateful for what we have and fully recognize that God is the one who's given it to us. And as we realize that and recognize it, we begin to share and give it away. The Bible says that we gain no wisdom by comparing ourselves to one another. I just reviewed that. It's a memory verse of mine, 2 Corinthians 10. Um, and the Bible says that we gain no wisdom when we compare ourselves with one another and measure ourselves with one another. We're without understanding. And this is especially true when it comes to money. What we tend to do is we look around at the amount of money we have, we look around at the amount of money other people have, and we tend to imagine, and we watch TV or go to movies and we see the lifestyles of the folks on TV, and we're thinking, wow, if I could have that, that'd be good. Well, there's no understanding there. In fact, to gain an accurate perspective, we shouldn't compare ourselves with our neighbors in America. We need to measure ourselves with the rest of the world. I read this this week. If you earn more than $2 a day, you are among the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. Now, I, I, when I read that, I thought, is that right? That, does, that, does that make sense? And I, I would have a tougher time believing that if I hadn't visited India in May. And I'd been to another part of the world earlier. But the folks in India, I went to India, to Gwati, India. A friend of mine is trying to start churches there in that part of the world, a country of a billion people. And uh, as we're looking at this, this situation, trying to figure out what it was going to take to help him start churches or for him to start churches, realized most of India, a country of around a billion people, a billion people, gets up at dawn, at the crack of dawn, when the light begins to shine, gets up at the crack of dawn, works until dark just to survive. They're not, they're not, they don't have any extra money. They're not piling up money. They're getting up at the crack of dawn and they're working until dark. Now, this hit me because it affects the way you can go about planting churches. People don't have much time to stop and to think about spiritual things. You know, God can get to them for sure, but it does affect your approach to church life. People are, are just trying to survive. And I'm not bringing this up to make you feel guilty. That is not my way. That is not my desire. But to give perspective about how blessed we are so that we can be grateful, so that we can gain an accurate view of how much God has blessed us. That in 2 Corinthians, my memory verse, it says, but we will keep to the limits God has given us so that we could reach even to you. If we keep to our limits and we get an accurate view of ourselves, then we gain understanding when we, when we understand what's going on. Paul gives this attitude gauge for our money. If we can't give cheerfully, then our outlook is messed up. It's cloudy. We're not seeing things clearly. I know some people, and I'll confess, maybe myself when I was younger, who have used this verse as an excuse not to give. Well, you know, I, I'm not feeling it today. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to write this check. And so I'm just going to hold off till I could get happier about it. 
You know, uh, that's not what this verse is saying. This is an attitude gauge. This passage is saying that we should we should give as an act of obedience, and if we aren't cheerful about it, we need to go to God and ask for help because we're not seeing things clearly. We need to ask him to help to change our hearts. It's a gauge. We will get ourselves in a heap of trouble if we hold back on what God wants us to do because we can't be joyful about it. We must set our hearts to obey God and ask him to help us grow in joy. In fact, when we do right, we feel right. That's how life works. Sometimes we wait to feel right about it before we're going to do it. But the feeling right comes after the doing the right. We may not feel right because we aren't doing right. It's the way it is. I read this uh, this week. Certainly God can bless a gift that is given out of a sense of duty. But God cannot bless the giver unless his heart is right. I, I, I think that's true. Another truth in this passage is that God is able to meet all of our needs and more. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He quotes a passage from Psalm 112 there. God is fully able to give us what we need and more. But what happens when we think about giving our money and our stuff away? A scarcity mentality can kick in. Oh, if I give this away, am I going to have enough? What's going to happen to me? How am I going to be taken care of? That's, that's what happens. God is fully able to give us what we need more. In fact, he will give you exactly what you need to do what he wants you to do. He already has. And, and from God's perspective, you have everything you need to do what God wants you to do. The two major purposes for our lives, good news and good works. He is able and will give what's needed to do what he wants done, not what we want done. And this is where a core attitude shift needs to take place. If you follow the Lord Jesus, if you're checking out what that means to follow him, this is a shift that he's going to lead you to make in, in your attitude toward your money. The core shift. If I'm going to take my place, is this, God, I, I shift from, God, give me what I want so I can spend it on myself, to, God, please give me what I need so I can do the good works that you intend for me to do. Final truth is God gives increase to grow our generosity. I don't know about how you dream in terms of money. Uh, you, you probably have some dreams, like if you're going to get a promotion or a raise or more money, what you do with that. Um, this informs our dreams about our money. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, he's giving us the seed, the, the finances with which we can plant in generosity, and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. And look at why he does it. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
God supplies us with wealth and the ability to sow the seeds of generosity so that it, it results in thanksgiving to him. He, he gives us more than we need so that we can invest it in what he's doing in the world and in the people that he's made who need it. This is why God has, has blessed us. The right outlook on our money is that God has given me the ability to earn it. And if he's given me more than I need, then he wants me to share that as I move along. God's purpose in giving me more than I need is so I use it for his purpose and demonstrate his love to the people around me. Knowing my place or the right attitude toward my money flows out of what we looked at a couple weeks ago of Philippians 2 kind of attitude. And we summarize Philippians 2, which says in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We summarized it, or I summarized it, um, this way. Just like Jesus, we need to take the nature of a servant. The nature of a servant. Not just wear servant clothes, but see ourselves as a servant. Humble ourselves and obey God. That's what Jesus did. This is our attitude. It applies to our money. In relation to our money, we want to take the nature of a servant, use it to serve his purposes, the people he's made. We want to humble ourselves. Don't allow our money to make us feel better than others or lower than others. Humble ourselves and obey him. When I recognize that God has given me the money I have, he's given me the strength and the ability to earn it, he's given me more than I need, then I give it away. I serve with my money. God is honored and others are blessed. And then I am blessed in that whole process. The real reason we have more than we need is so that we can be a channel God uses to accomplish his work and to meet the needs of others around us. And he wants us to do that in a way that people's hearts are turned in gratitude to him. This, this is the Bible's view of money. This is God's perspective on it. Look at 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. God wants us to enjoy our, our stuff and our money. He wants us to enjoy it. But he says, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is it. This is how you find real life in the here and now. This is almost exactly the same thing Jesus said earlier about laying up treasure for yourself in heaven. Financial planners, they encourage us to look 30, 40 years ahead. Jesus tells us to look 30 million years ahead. He, he wants us to get beyond. What Stephen King discovered in an accident, through an accident on a country road, is true. We can't take anything with us. But as Francis Schaeffer said, you, you can send it on ahead. He said this, you can take it with you if you're a Christian. We, we can lay up money in land and investments, but we can lay it up just as realistically and objectively in heaven. Since this is reality, 
God wants us to grow generous in two ways. And here, here they are. He wants us to lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven by using our money to serve his purpose, to get the good news out there about Jesus Christ so that more and more people can walk into eternity with him and experiencing life in eternity that he intends. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be uh, found food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Uh, this is in reference to the temple. The storehouse is in the temple. In the New Testament, the church is the temple, and it takes many different forms, but the church is the temple. And God wants us to invest in the church, which is here on earth, to serve his purpose in the world, to share the good news. It's the centerpiece of what the church is trying to do. So he wants us to bring the tithe into the storehouse. A tithe literally means the first tenth. We're commanded to give 10% of our income off the top back to God. And I say back to God because we're giving it back to the one who gave it to us in the first place. He's the one that gave us the ability to earn it. And when we give God the tithe and we grow generous beyond it, He graciously promises to bless our obedience. He's God. He didn't have to do that. But he's exponentially generous himself. And so he promises to bless. Now, notice that God says you can test him in this. This is a highly interactive portion of your walk with God, your finances. I had a friend of mine who, he's a pastor in Huntington Beach, and a man came up to him who was investigating Christianity, and he, he said, uh, the man asked him, how can I test out whether or not God is real? Or how can I check out? How can I know for sure God is real? Or what's one way I can do that? And uh, my friend Bevan was thinking, and he said, well, he thought of this verse. He said, well, he said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> but this is what the Bible says. If you tithe, God will bless you. And that's the only place I can think of in the Bible where you can test God. And so he encouraged him to do that. A few months later, the guy came back and he said, remember that conversation we have? And my friend Bevan didn't remember it. But the guy said, yeah. He said, I've been doing that. And he's like, really? <laughs> you know, because he didn't, didn't, wasn't a believer, wasn't walking with God. He said, really? You've been doing that? He said, yeah, and God has really come through. He has really blessed me. And so I, I've become a Christian in the last couple months because I've seen God work through this. Check it out. Giving is a highly interactive part of our lives. If we give, God blesses. He's promised to do that. He said we could test him in this. If we don't give what we know God wants us to give, then he allows us to experience trouble. And it begins to eat away at what we're holding on to. This is the way with God. Whatever we're holding on to and putting above what he's told us to do, he allows it to be eaten away. This is the one way that you can test God. And it's a way that you can find. There are other ways to find out that he's real, but it's certainly a way that you can begin to test. Begin to give and watch him work. Watch what he does. 
God also tells us to give proportionally. It's an important part of our giving. 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So Paul's encouraging them, talking about the same collection. And he says, give a portion in keeping with your income. Set it aside as a regular way of giving and watch God work as he grows your faith in this area. So I'd encourage you to pick a percentage. If you're new to giving, pick a percentage and watch God work as you give. Uh, we lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven when we use our money to serve God's purpose and to help people in need. Psalm 112 is a description of a righteous person, a person who's right with God. In other words, somebody who makes God happy. And, and in this description, it says this. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. This is the pattern we saw in Philippians 2. Take the nature of a servant, humble yourself, obey God, and you get honored. You're exalted. He, he is pleased with that. God has made us to be generous. He wants us to give to his purpose. He wants us to give to the needs of those around us. As we are able. And when we give, we're demonstrating God's love to, to the people around us. We're showing them the heart of God as we meet these needs. He is honored. And in the process, he blesses our lives as well. We have a generosity gene. It's built into us. It's wired into who we are. And when we grow in generosity, he is pleased. God is pleased. I'd like to wrap up the message with a story from Eugene Peterson's book called Run with the Horses. Eugene Peterson's the man who paraphrased the, the Bible in the message. And he tells about a time when he watched a mother swallow teaching her three chicks how to fly by pushing them off the, the edge of a long dead tree branch. And he said that as he watched, she came alongside, they were lined up on the branch, and she came alongside on the inside of the branch toward the trunk and began to shove the chicks toward the edge of the branch. And he said, after a while, the first one fell off the end of the branch, and somewhere between that branch and the water below, it began to fly. Then the same thing, started shoving the second, you know, the, the, the other two started shoving them. The second one falls off. And then begins to fly. Well, the third one was sort of a bulldog. And the third chick, he said, was hanging on for dear life. I mean, this is like a fight. She's trying to push, push, push. Well, I guess the chick let go just enough to flip upside down and then grabbed on again. So the chick's hanging on to the branch upside down. And the mother started pecking at the talons. Started pecking at this chick's talons. Until finally it was more painful to, to hang on than to let go. And the chick let go. And you know what happened? It began to fly. That, that mother swallow knew what that chick did not. That it would fly. That there was no danger in making it do what it was designed to do. And then he concludes, and this is what I want you to grab from this story. Giving is what we do best. It is the air into which we were born. It is the action that was designed into us before our birth. Some people try desperately to hold on to themselves, to live for self. 
They looked so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, hanging on to the dead branch of selfishness and self-centeredness, afraid to risk themselves on the untried wings of giving. Yet many people don't think they can live generously because they've never tried. This morning, I want to encourage you to give it a try. God built this into us, this gene of generosity. He wants us to live the life designed for us. And generosity is a major factor in the level of joy that we're going to get in life. So give it a try. I want to wrap up this morning by asking you to think through your next step as a result of what I've been talking about, the passages that we've looked at, and maybe what God said to you this morning. There may be other steps that you want to take, but... I want to give some suggestions. So if you would, take out your connection card out of the program uh, that you were given on the way in. And uh, the, on the back of that card, there, the next steps are also at the bottom of the listening guide. So if you could take the time now to finish completing any information or next steps on this card and then drop it in the offering later on, that'd be great. But here are some next steps. There are some next steps with CIV overall and some next steps for this message. First of all, if you're interested in joining a growth group, you could put the number and the night on there. This is a great way to develop friendships and to grow in scriptural values uh, of making friends and getting around people who share the right kind of values. Second step is I'm planning to, to attend the baptism overview on September 11th. If you've recently committed your life to Christ, Jesus wants you to follow through and be baptized as a picture of your coming to know him and walk with him. If you are ready to, to follow him in baptism in that way, this is where you can find out all the details and get your questions answered about baptism. Another step, I'm planning to attend the parenting seminar on September 25th. There's some flyers in your program about uh, September 18th. It's our back to school big day. And we're going to start a message series on parenting, and then we're going to have the parenting seminar on the 25th. We'd love for you to attend and bring your family and friends to that as well. And also invite your family and friends to, to the September 18th. That'd be great. And then an, another one related, another step related to this message is take God's challenge in Malachi 3.10 and grow my generosity by giving or tithing. If you already give and tithe, Ask God if he wants you to step up a level and grow in your generosity as well. Or if you're just beginning, pick a percentage. Pick a place to start and watch God work. See what he does. And then the last step could be, for the first time, I'm deciding to accept Jesus as my Lord and follow him, or as my Savior and follow him as my Lord. If, if you've been investigating what it means to follow Christ and you're ready to take that step, we'd love to know it. We'd love to help you with that in any way that we can, so let us know if you would. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us today, we're glad you're here. We have a gift for you. If you go, as you go out those double doors to the left, there are some books on a table. Uh, it's a book called Case for Christ. We'd love for you to pick one out, and hopefully it's a help to you as you um, just think through some answers to questions about Christianity. You can pick that book up, and uh, we'd be glad for you to do that. Would the band come forward as I wrap up in prayer? Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in Scripture that we aren't going to find anywhere else. But God, it always reflects. What you ask us to do always reflects what you've made us to do. So, Father, 
grow our hearts to be generous, to be kind, to be giving, so that we can bring honor and glory to you, and so we can bless those around us and find the life of blessing that you intend. We ask for your help in this, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.